Sowing in Health and Wellness is brought to you by Freedom Gate Church, where it is their passion to advance Christ's kingdom and disciple the generations. Freedom Gate is located at 104 Tennis Center Drive, directly behind Pioneer Chevrolet in Marietta, Ohio. Sunday morning services begin at 1030 a.m. Find more details on the web at freedomgatechurch.net. Soaring in Health and Wellness is also brought to you by Mountaineer Chiropractic, located at 2108 Camden Avenue, Suite D, Parkersburg, West Virginia. For more information, go online to mountaineercairo.com. If you'd like to be a sponsor or help support Soaring in Health and Wellness podcast, please go online to eagleswayministries.org and select Patron Page in the top menu bar. Hello, and thank you for listening to Soaring in Health and Wellness with Dr. Stephen Wells. Dr. Wells is a chiropractic physician with a passion to help individuals reach new levels in health and wellness. Dr. Wells has been involved in the health and wellness field for over 30 years. Dr. Wells received his Bachelor of Science degree from Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, with an emphasis in health and exercise science. He received his second Bachelor of Science degree in general sciences, along with his Doctor of Chiropractic degree, with honors from Palmer College of Chiropractic in Davenport, Iowa. Soaring in Health and Wellness is a tool to help educate individuals reach new levels in health and wellness and a passion to live with a sense of purpose and vitality. Dr. Wells and his guests, ranging from doctors of all areas of health care to educators, nurses, personal trainers, counselors, and pastors, will discuss and inform you on how to improve in all dimensions of wellness from a biblical worldview perspective with one goal in mind, seeing you soar towards optimal health and wellness. If you're ready, let's get started with today's program with your host, Dr. Steve Wells. Good afternoon and welcome to Soaring in Health and Wellness. Today's an exciting day because our guest is going to be Tim Kraft, the founder of High on Hope Ministries. He will be joining us in the second segment of our uh, podcast today. Uh, we're going to continue our series and our discussion on how to improve our lifestyle behaviors or change in our bad behaviors. The resources where we're using today are Health to Basics by Rebecca Donatelli, Connect Core Concepts and Health by Ensel Roth and Ensel, Total Fitness and Wellness by Powers Dodd and Jackson. Paris Don Jackson, note before we can change a wellness-related behavior, there are four things that we need to do. Basically, we must recognize that the behavior is unhealthy, that we, we can make a change. Two, we need to identify alternative behaviors for an unhealthy behavior. Three, we need to remember to be successful in changing the behavior. We must be ready physically and mentally. Keep in mind that we can't control each of these health behaviors, but that being aware of them is not enough to bring about change. And number four, when assessing our habits, consider what is important for us to change. Do we want to change to improve our health or do we want to change to please someone else? In identifying behavior change barriers, Powers Don Jackson continued to explain that once we have stressed our current behavior patterns, we can focus on the barriers that may prevent us from changing our behavior. Despite the many benefits of an active lifestyle, the level of physical activity remains low for most Americans. They give an example from the Centers for Disease Control report that only 31% of Americans engage in some form of leisure time activity. Further, only 12% of Americans participate in a regular exercise program, for example, greater than 20 minutes of exercise per day, three days per week. Powers Don and Jackson note there are four major barriers that contribute to this low level of exercise activity, and they are one, lack of time, two, lack of social and environmental influences, three, inadequate resources, and four, lack of motivation and commitment. They note without question the most important of these barriers is the lack of motivation and commitment to establish a regular exercise program. The goal is to reduce or eliminate your barriers. For example, 
the barrier of lack of social barrier to your quitting smoking, you will need the help from your family and friends. People who care about you will usually be supportive if they know about your goals, but they cannot help if you do not communicate your desire to change. In changing unhealthy behaviors, again, Powers Don Jackson also note that we need to recognize that we do not need to change all of our unhealthy behaviors at the same time. Trying to make too many changes at once is usually very difficult and reduces our changes for success. Setbacks can reduce our motivation to change, but keep in mind that a setback does not mean failure. We mentioned in last week's podcast with Pastor Jim Hodges, Franklin Covey did an annual survey and noted that 35% of people who make New Year's resolutions break them by the end of January. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention 2015 noted nearly 70% of United States adult smokers want to quit. So we ask ourselves, why do so many New Year's resolutions fail before Valentine's Day? According to Drs. James Prakaska and Carlos Declamente, it's because we're going about things in the wrong way. Fewer than 20% of us are really prepared to take action. After considerable research, Prakaska and Declamente have concluded that behavior changes usually do not succeed and they start with the change itself. Instead, we must go through a series of stages to prepare ourselves for that eventual change. According to Prakaska and Declamente's Transtheoretical Model of Behavior Change, also called Stages of Change Model, our chances of keeping those New Year's resolutions will be greatly enhanced if we have proper reinforcement and help during each of the following stages. We're going to go through some of these stages, or all the stages, basically briefly, but we're going to mention them. The first stage you'll come to in the stages of change is pre-contemplation. The people in this stage, basically our people in this stage, have no current intention of changing. They may have tried to change a behavior before and have given up, or they may be in denial and unaware of any problem. Ensel Roth and Ensel give an example of your friends have commented that you should exercise more, but you are resistant. You have tried to exercise in the past, and now you think your situation is hopeless. They continue to note that you are unaware of risk associated with being sedentary. You also blame external factors like other people for your condition. You believe that there are more important reasons not to change than there are reasons to change. Pyrus Dodd and Jackson suggest because people in this stage are not thinking about changing their behaviors, basically they might need friends and family to help move them to the next stage. Again, the goal for individuals in this stage is to get good information about healthy behaviors so they can begin to look at their unhealthy behavior differently. If we look at stage two, which is the contemplation stage, during this phase, people recognize that they have a problem and begin to contemplate the need to change. Despite this acknowledgement, people can language in this stage for years, realizing that they have a problem about lacking the time or energy to make the change. Ensel Roth and Ensel also note that you, might, you, uh, that you are aware of the benefits of behavior change, but are also aware that behaviors to change may be difficult to overcome. You consider possible courses of action, but don't know how to proceed. We look at number three as far as the preparation stage. Most people at this point are closing to take action within a month, or you may have already had begun to make small changes in your behavior. They thought you about what they might do or may even come up with a plan. But we possibly worry about failing. Number four, the action stage. In this stage, people begin to follow their action plans. Those who have prepared for change appropriately and made a plan of action are more ready for action than those who have given it little thought. Ensel Roth and Ensel note that you are outwardly modifying your behavior and your environment. 
Maybe you start riding your bike to school or work. They continue to note that the action stage requires the greatest commitment of time and energy. And people in this stage are at risk of relapsing into old, unhealthy patterns of behavior. The fifth stage is the maintenance phase. During the maintenance stage, a person continues the action begun in the action stage for at least six months and works toward making these changes a permanent part of his or her life. In this stage, it is important to be aware of the potential for relapses and to develop strategies for dealing with such challenges. The maintenance stage can last months or years. And the final stage is the termination phase. By this point, the behavior is so ingrained that constant vigilance may be unnecessary. The new behavior has become an essential part of daily living. You have a new self-image and total control with regard to your target behavior. Donatelli notes that we don't necessarily go through these stages sequentially. They may overlap or we may go back and forth from one to another. For example, contemplation to preparation, then back to contemplation for a while before we become truly committed to making the challenge. She continues to note that it's useful to recognize where we are at with a change so that we can consider the appropriate strategies to, to move us forward. Powers Don and Jackson explained that if we experience a lapse to an earlier stage, we are to evaluate why we had the setback and develop a new plan. Learn from this experience and do not let it discourage us. They continue to note that the key element to any behavior change plan is the desire to change. Without a genuine desire to make a lifestyle change, the best behavior change plan is doomed to fail. Three to five is the number of times most people will attempt to change an unhealthy behavior before succeeding, according to Donatelli. So if we go back to the pre-contemplation, we're looking at step one as far as strategies to help us change our bad behavior. Basically, we want to increase our awareness. Before we can decide what we might want to change, we need to learn what researchers know about that behavior that contribute to and detract from our health and where to find reliable information. Donatelli continues to note that this would be a good time to take stock of the health determinants in our life, what aspects of our biology and behavior support our health and which are obstacles to overcome, what elements of our social environment such as friends and family, can help us identify target behaviors. Also, what physical environment, for example, health clubs, exercise classes, or stress management classes that we can tap into to help us change. Furthermore, we need to consider what elements might hold us back. Donatelli continues to suggest that we must make a list of all the health determinants that affect us both positively and negatively. And doing this should greatly increase our understanding of what we might want to change and what we might need to do to make that change happen. We're going to go over some strategies as far as when we're looking at basically evaluating sources of health information. Some general strategies, again, this is by Ensel Roth and Ensel. Whenever you encounter health-related information, take the following steps to make sure it is credible. We want to go to the original source. Media reports often simplify the results, results of medical research. Find out for yourself what a study really reported and determine whether it was based on good science. Two, watch for misleading language. Reports that toot breakthroughs or dramatic proof are probably hype. A study may state that a behavior contributes to or is associated with an outcome. This does not prove a cause and effect relationship. 
We want to distinguish between research reports and public health advice. Do not change your behavior based on the results of a single report or study. If an agency such as the National Cancer Institute urges a behavior change, however, follow its advice. Large, publicly funded organizations issue such advice based on many studies, not a single report. We want to remember that antidotes are not facts. A friend may tell you he lost weight or some new diet, but individual success stories do not mean the plan is truly safe or effective. Check with your doctor before making any serious lifestyle change. Again, check with your doctor before making any serious lifestyle change. We want to be skeptical. If a report seems too good to be true, it probably is. Be wary if information can be in advertisements. An ad's goal is to sell a product even if there is no need for it. And then we want to make choices that are right for us. Friends and family members can be a great source of ideas and inspiration, but you need to make health-related choices that work best for you. If we're looking at the internet for resources, online sources post special challenges. When reviewing a health-related website, you want to ask these questions. What is the source of the information? Websites maintained by government agencies, professional associations, or established academic or medical institutions are likely to present trustworthy information. Many other groups and individuals post accurate information, but it is important to look at the qualifications of the people who are behind a site. You want to check the home page or click the About Us link. We want to how often is the site updated. Look for sites that are updated frequently. Check the last modified date of any web page. Next is the site promotional. Beware of information from sites that sell specific products, use testimonials as evidence, appear to have a social or political agenda, or ask for money. Next, what do other sources say about a product? Be cautious of claims or information that appear at only one site or come from a chat room, bulletin board, newsgroup, or blog. Next, does the site conform to any set of guidelines or criteria for quality and accuracy? Look for sites that identify themselves as conforming to some code or set of principles, such as those established by the Health or Net Foundation of the American Medical Association. These codes include criteria such as use of information for respected sources and disclosure of the site's sponsors. What I'd like you to do as far as our action step before we take our break is I want you to go to www.eagleswayministries.org. Go to the home page, scroll down to the bottom of the page to tools and recommendations and select lifestyle assessment and answer those questions. Again, we're looking to assess our lifestyle behaviors. So we're going to take our break. We're going to thank our sponsors. And then when we come back, we're going to have our guest, Tim Kraft, the founder of High on Hope Ministries. Sowing in Health and Wellness is brought to you by Freedom Gate Church, where it is their passion to advance Christ's kingdom and disciple the generations. Freedom Gate is located at 104 Tennis Center Drive, directly behind Pioneer Chevrolet in Marietta, Ohio. Sunday morning services begin at 1030 a.m. Find more details on the web at freedomgatechurch.net. Soaring in Health and Wellness is also brought to you by Mountaineer Chiropractic, located at 2108 Camden Avenue, Suite D, Parkersburg, West Virginia. For more information, go online to mountaineercairo.com. If you'd like to be a sponsor or help support Soaring in Health and Wellness podcast, please go online to eagleswayministries.org and select Patron Page in the top menu bar. Welcome back to Soaring in Health and Wellness. Today's guest is Tim Kraft. He's the founder of High on Hope Ministries. 
He was a 12-year drug addict who God delivered in 2014. His mission is to bring Jesus Christ to the center of the drug addiction crisis. Welcome, Tim Kraft. Uh, thank you for having me, Steve. I tell you, as far as your a little bit about yourself, for listeners who may not know who you are. Uh, yeah, my name is Tim Kraft. I am uh, originally from Beckley, West Virginia. Um, I I grew up there, and uh, right, you know, into college, I became a quick, uh, quickly addicted to opiates, um, prescription pills. It started with, and it quickly grew out of control. Um, I worked in the coal mines there, and um, you know, it went the whole cycle. It starts with pain pills, and then eventually it ends up with heroin. Um, and it grabbed a hold of my life so quick that it was just spiraling out of control. Um, and throughout the addiction, um, you know, I lost my sister to a drug overdose on April the 6th, 2013. Um, a couple months later, I lost my aunt to an overdose. Um, and it was just really a tough, tragic time. And um, I got my income tax in February of 2014, and I, and I went to my dealer and I got 19 stamps of heroin and 10 Roxy 30s. And I went into this hotel room and I was just hurting so bad. And I was trying to cover up my pain. And um, my second night in the hotel room, I had done all those drugs, went out to a bar, bought some more heroin. And on the way back, I could feel my body just feeling really heavy and lethargic. And I went into my hotel room and I um, actually overdosed that night in the room. And the only reason that I didn't die is because my back was up against the wall. So throughout the night when I vomited, um, just due to the fact that I had passed out sitting up, it didn't kill me. Um, wow. And so, you know, it was really a, a hopeless time. It really was. Like, I can remember just, like, looking in my mom's eyes, for example, and just seeing, you know, no life. It's just... You know, I didn't realize the enemy really was coming to still kill and destroy everything in my family. And I had a friend who came to this hotel room and he rescued me out of this hotel room. And I wasn't um, I wasn't raised up in church or anything. So it was all kind of foreign. I knew this friend. Well, I knew his dad was a pastor. I knew that he had went into a ministry called Eddie James. And he came to this hotel room and he begged me to go with him because I would have died in that room. I would have never made it out. And it changed everything and on march the 1st of 2014 i'm laying in this bed and i'm beginning to go through really bad heroin withdrawals you know i had just done all those drugs he um i was laying in his bed and i just cried out to god for the first time ever and i just said you know god if you're real please help me um wow. i don't know what to do at this point and something really significant happened in that moment i felt the presence of the living god for the first time in my life mm -hmm. and it changed me. Um, you know, of course, I still had to walk out a process of renewing my mind, but um, that one moment was so significant for where I'm at today. Well, I'd say before we actually talk about your program, How and Hope and so forth, how old were you when you actually started taking your first um, drugs? And so forth? I was uh, right around, I was 18. Well, what it was, I started with, with weed, just started mm -hmm. smoking weed. And then when I went off to college, I started taking um, ecstasy. Um, and, and doing some coke and things like that and going out and partying. And then the actual addiction itself um, to the prescription pills started at 19. Right. Okay. As far as um, was this just more of an experimental stage or did you go through some type of um, family relationship that you had hurt, uh, rejection? Because a lot of times people who go into these bad habits and so forth, they're, they're basically they're trying to cover up hurt 
or a bunch of you actually really have to know the core reason as far as actually looking into yourself. So what kind of basically took you down that wrong path for listeners who may have a, a grandchild or a son or a daughter or a brother and sister that are, you know, having difficult times? Well, um, for me, I feel like it started as an escape. Um, a coping mechanism at first it was fun it started as experimental but after a while it became uh, the way I coped with problems or the way I dealt with issues when I was facing them Um, and then it turned into an actual problem and then I found out later you know like the root of a lot of it was just uh, rebellion and Mm -hmm. rebelling against you know um, you know growing up it was kind of a strict household so um you know, it wasn't uh, really a Christian household. It was just strict. And so once it was almost like once I got some freedom, I just ran with it and mm-hmm. I began to do it. So I found out that um, it was an unhealthy coping mechanism uh, partnered with a lot of rebellion. Mm-hmm. As far as do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have a older brother. And then I, of course, had my younger sister oh, that yeah. passed. Did they go down that path or? Yeah, my sister actually, um, she went down a, a, almost with me and um, and she took the overdose um, of Xanax and Opana, which is a a benzo and a pain medication that was mixed. Um, My brother went down the same path, but not to the extent that my sister and I did. So you know pretty much as far as just your background and and, and the state as far as what you did, as far as the opioid epidemic and how critical and how life-changing that is affecting our children and so forth. And uh, what actually, as far as the change in yourself, what actually motivate you to begin high on hope well what what happened was i went into eddie james ministries and his ministry travels uh, uh really around the world i've been to like israel and germany with them and it opened my eyes to a lot of things being in the ministry i realized i really had a heart for um people who were struggling with the same things that i went through and w- as we traveled the country i seen so many people that were hurting with this um and we had got placed here in parkersburg west virginia um, it was around three years ago, um, 2015, and I was at this time I was the director of his recovery program called Dream Life, and so throughout that process of doing that, I felt like God grew me a lot, and He gave me um, a vision to really try to attack this problem at the community level. Um, you know, we do a lot of the one-on-one discipleship type things, and we were doing that with the program, but I felt like He had gave me a heart for the Mid-Ohio Valley, you know, at least it starts here, um, to how do we attack it from not just the one-on-one getting people into treatment, but how can we hit this at a community level to where our community can be healed from it? Right, I tell you what. And so this is really as far as high on hope, as far as, let's kind of go over a little bit of what your mission statement is. It's like that. So it says, High on Hope based, uh, Ministry assignment is to show a generation freedom from addiction through the power of Jesus Christ. And you mentioned the the verse 1 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So what are some of the goals that High on Hope, as far as what are you trying to do as far as, um, you know, for these individuals? I mean, yeah, I, well, and a lot of it is t- like, I feel like, our goal is not to teach people sobriety. Um, I say this all the time. There's, I feel like there's a million ways that people can get sober. Our goal is to bring freedom um, through Christ to this problem. I feel like that's the one path to freedom. Um, so what we try to do is bring you know, the Holy Spirit and the freedom he brings to these individuals. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says a lot in 
once we step into that identity in Christ, truly all things do become new and old things really pass away. Mm -hmm. So what we try to teach people is um, your identity is not found in your struggle. God empowers you to live free. You're not identified by what you deal with. And so when they can drop them old identities, we see an empowerment come into their life that they didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. And that's what's really powerful about it is because we're not teaching them to be bound to white knuckle their way through life. We're teaching them to actually step into a freedom that Jesus offers. Um, and it, that in itself is the goal of what we do. We want to bring real freedom to the problem. Mm -hmm. So as we disciple people, we teach them that. And, and there's scripture to back it up. If the Bible doesn't call me an addict, and if God calls me a son, I'm not going to identify as an addict. And the scripture that backs that up, of course, is 2 Corinthians 5.17, but also Proverbs 23.7. It says, whatsoever a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And then it says in Proverbs 21.18, um, the power of life and death is in the tongue. Mm -hmm. So whatever I speak, I'm going to believe. And so when we teach them that their identity is not found in that, they can truly step into a newness of life that they never knew existed. Wow, that's awesome. I tell you, and you say... Hi, where is High on Hope located? Are you guys located out of Parkersburg? We are. We're located out of Parkersburg. That's where we're based out of. But we are really a, a moving ministry. Um, we're, we're actually getting ready to bring a lot of our efforts into Ohio. Um, I feel like that's one of the directions that God is leading us is to um, establish a lot more things in this state. And we do have another branch located in Murphy, North Carolina. Um, and we're also going to the Philippines in February to bring a lot of the initiatives that we do here mm -hmm. to Apari, um, which is a community there that's just ate up with drugs and they have hardly no resources and they don't know what to do. So we're going to go there for 10 days and try to equip them. I tell you, you know, there's only one Tim Kraft <laughs> like that. So the staff that you have, do you have a, a staff and what does your staff consist of? Are there counselors? Are there professionals? You know, I mean, you know, as far as is there a type of program that actually you're educating? I mean, if someone had a person, so forth, say their grandchild was in this stage and, you know, of course, they're in denial or they don't want help, but their mother wants to get them help. Do they contact, how do they get a hold of you to contact you and how do you go all about that? Yeah, we do a lot of that. We have about... I would say 15 really solid people that are a part of, if you would say, our staff um, that will outreach in these moments. Um, so they would contact us through an 800 number that we have, or they would contact me personally. Or, you know, Facebook and social media has done a lot to be able to, you know, connect everyone mm -hmm. together. So um, we get a lot of people that reach out like that. And we do a lot of meetings and intervention type moments with you know, young people who their mom contacts us. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we want to do. We want to be available to really go after th that one, you know, the, the scripture in Luke that talks about, would you not leave the 99 to go after the one? So a lot of what we do is based upon that. And, and some of that's from my personal experience of someone left the 99 to come after me mm -hmm. and it changed my life forever. So um, we will intervene and we will set up meetings and we will go out of our way and make ourselves inconvenienced to be able to help someone because mm -hmm. I feel like that's the mandate that God's put on our life. Well, I tell you, as far as now, you know, again, I'm, I'm kind of looking at this, um, this Freedom Project. It's like that. Can you kind of describe that? Yeah, um, this all started a few years back with, it started with one cop in Belpre, Ohio. And he just said one night we met him at this meeting and he said, um, his name's Mike Stump, amazing man of God. He said, if I have someone that I come across and they're struggling, can I call you? 
And at first, you know, it just started as simple as that. And over time, what's happened is it's turned into a consistent thing where we respond to overdoses. We go to the emergency room, um, even if they're, you know, they catch somebody with something that's not really something they have to go to jail for. They'll call us Mm -hmm. and we'll go to the police station and meet them. And when we meet them, we bring, you know, that hope to them like we know you're lost. We've been in that same spot before, but here's a way out. So what we've done is equipped ourselves with a whole database of uh, detoxes, ministries, uh, rehabilitation centers that we can refer these people to. So what it all started when someone would reach out to me. I never wanted to look at them and say, sorry, we just can't help you right now. We don't have a, a way or a place, and I don't know what to do. So we educated ourselves um, so that when someone reaches out, it doesn't matter you know, what state they're in. Um, we can get them to a place where they can find wholeness again. Wow. So, uh, you know, it's that community mm-hmm. so forth. Um, the book, it's like that I use a lot in my podcast, is basically Dr. Scott Morris. Uh, it's it's healthcare you can live with and so forth. And he basically recommends finding a community which consists of family, friends, church organization, it's like that, to help support, pray, and interconnect with these individuals to help these make lifestyle choices. Yeah. Um, I was kind of going over some of the education and so forth. So, and um, this is kind of hit home close to us, and I don't want to really uh, talk more about or mention anybody's name because I didn't get to contact that individual to get permission to do that. But anyway, uh, I, I've seen changes from, you know, again, from personal, not myself, but again, close family tie type deal that you've actually, you know, God has changed. Her um, her life is much better. She's, I believe, in Bible school, I believe, or mm-hmm. is in that. So anyway, so I tell you what, as far as now, you know, I was kind of looking at the, we were talking about the different stages. It's like, then you said you were kind of revamping some of those. Mm-hmm. So actually, if someone was to come into your program, I'm, you know, I was kind of reading it, and like I said, as far as phone calls, you limit the phone calls, you you kind of, um, you monitor the phone call, so forth. Can you kind of break that down as far as the, the, you know, when someone comes in, this is what they kind of can expect. Right. And how do you kind of pull that individual from that, um, right. you know, yeah, and, addiction? And, yeah, we do have, and we have a men's facility that we, we just partnered with this place called the Land of Goshen Treatment Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we opened a 16-bed uh, men's facility in Malta, Ohio, where they can come in. It's Ohio Medicaid. And so when they come in, um, we really want to we want to make them feel at home, first of all. I just think that if we can make them comfortable, we don't want to put them in this hospital-type setting where they feel like they are, you know, in, in an institution. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they come in, we really want to receive them with love. We want to be able to look at them through the lens of God that doesn't look at all their downfalls. But our goal is simply to start, let's pull out what's positive about them. Let's start pulling out the gold that's inside of them. And so a lot of what we do is try to... Um, you know, show them freedom, but empower them along the way. So when they come in, they're not going to have a cell phone um, or anything like that. And it's a six month program. And there's five different phases that they will go through in the program. And in the beginning, like the first phase, you know, you're not allowed to have visitors. It's kind of like a a blackout shut off type period time. Um, And then after that, you begin to get a little bit of privileges back, um, you know, where you can have visitors and, and things like that. Um, so they go through five hours of group a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then outside of that, they attend church. They, um, they can go to different activities. We want to make it fun for them. We want to teach them that living your life free from 
addiction is not boring. And that's one of the big misconceptions mm-hmm. of people coming out is like, you know, I can't have fun unless I have this drug. Mm-hmm. So we want to begin to tear down those lies in their life and reveal truth to them. Like, you know, your, your life is meant to be enjoyable. You can have fun and find joy in things outside of the addiction. So um, it's, a, it's an approach of love. And, and I believe it's biblical, too, that it says love covers a multitude of sins. And when we begin to simply love them, uh, not for what they do, but who they are, we begin to see a hope that is sparked inside of them that they begin to believe in themselves and they find confidence and they feel like they can actually do it. So mm-hmm. our approach is, you know, simply that. Well, I tell you, as far as um, I've... As far as the organizations, and you go into the high schools or we have middle schools, or how do you actually, you know, get people to know about High on Hope? Right. Like um, yeah, we we we've been into some of the high schools, some in West Virginia, um, and the whole thing is like we're really big on the outreach aspect. So we want to let people know we're available. So we do a lot of social media. Um, we push on there a lot. Um, we do community events where the community can then know everything we're doing. Um, you know, our services that are available and things like that. So like back in April, we had um, what we call High on Hope, the movement. It was our second one in Parkersburg. It was at the city park. And we probably had uh, close to a thousand people that showed up to the event. And we tried to hit it from every angle. For example, like we had Wood County Sheriff Steve Stevens speak. We had um, the mayor of Parkersburg speak. Um, Patrick Morrissey, the attorney general of West Virginia. And then we had people in recovery. We had pastors. Um, so we tried to hit it from every angle possible. And even inside of that, we brought in uh, over 40 resource tables of different organizations that are doing things to fight the addiction problem. Mm-hmm. Because I believe that it's not just the assignment of high on hope to defeat the problem. Mm-hmm. If we're going to beat it on a community level, we have to get the community involved. So everyone can find their role and where they fit in and what part they play in this. Um, I think that that's key. And I, I think we're seeing fruit from these type of efforts. Um, in Wood County, last year, um, 2017, we had 363 reported overdoses um, wow. in the county. That's one small county yeah. in West Virginia. Now, what's really awesome and um, encouraging about this is this year, eight months into the year, we are almost 50% lower on overdose rate. Wow. So, you know, we're beginning to see fruit from it. And we're seeing overdoses climb across the country. And but we're seeing fruit of, you know, the efforts not only of High on Hope, but of the community as mm-hmm. as a whole. And it's um it's confirmation that we're heading in the right direction. Right. It's like that. As far as um and we don't want to forget to give people your contact information and so forth. As far as the website um, and also the telephone number that they can get a hold of you. So we'll make sure we do. Actually, just go ahead and do that now. Uh, is there a website that they can actually go to for more information? Yeah, you can go to highonhopeministries.org. Um, we are currently revamping um, our whole website. So a little bit of the information um, isn't all the way up to date. But the best way to keep up with what we're doing is uh, Facebook. Mm-hmm. We we basically post everything we do on there. Um, when we visit different churches, we post it on there. We have a, you know, our weekly addiction class we have. We post, you know, it on there, and we usually live stream it. Um, and then we have a phone number that people can reach out on, which is an 800 number, and it's 833-H-O-H-FREE, F-R-E-E. And people can call that 24 hours a day, and uh, we'll be available, you know, to help in any way that we can in those moments, too. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, um, you know, people love to 
hear stories as far as success stories, and I'm sure you probably got many of them. Is there one or two stories where, you know, an individual had no other than, you know, like what you went through? Right. And just totally transformation from night to day. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've seen that with several people. One story that happened recently, um, it's very, very intriguing to me, is there was this uh, girl. We were in North Carolina. Um, we had our High on Hope the Movement event there um, on July 28th. And we were there for four days, and I got a phone call from a mother from Wilmington, North Carolina, which was six hours away. And she said, can you help my daughter? And she was due to go to Eddie James Ministries, but she needed detox first. So the mother drove uh, this young girl six hours to us. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, this will be easy. We'll get her into the detox here in Murphy, North Carolina. Then after this, she'll go with Eddie. And, you know, easy, easy. So (laughs) she comes, and we take her to the detox in Murphy, and they would not accept her because she didn't have uh, any type of Medicaid card. So in my mind, you know, it's so funny how God will throw your plans off, too, because in my mind, you know, we're supposed to be on our way back home. Our facility was about to open. There's all this, you know, stuff that you feel like is an agenda, but um, God just throws it out the door. And she so the next day we said, okay, there's one in Cleveland, Tennessee. We'll get her into Um, we take her the next morning. They said it's going to be thirty three hundred dollars to get her in. Of course, we don't have thirty three hundred dollars to get her in the detox. She starts getting doubts in her mind. And she starts saying, well, maybe I should just go back home. She's beginning to withdraw and, and detox mm-hmm. with, you know, no assistance. And, um, we're, you know, we're praying for her and stuff. And I did everything I could to keep her mind off of it. And I was like, no, uh, let's go tubing down the river. I'm just trying to find things I can do to keep her mind off of it. Mm-hmm. And she's fighting me on it. She said, take me to the bus station. And I, and I said, no, <laughs> I'm not taking you to the bus station. I kid and I say, is it? is it illegal to kidnap people in Jesus name? <laughs> so the, the next day um, she was, you know, real persistent and Eddie James was having a service in Atlanta, Georgia that night. And I said, at least wait until this service before you make your mind up. And she was very hesitant and she kept, right before service. She said, I'm just gonna let you know, I'm going home in the morning. I'm going home. I appreciate everything you did, but this just ain't for me. So during the service, I see, you know, God begin to work on her heart. She's in the very back of the sanctuary in the beginning. By the middle of service, she's halfway up with her eyes closed, beginning to pray. Mm-hmm. And by the end of service, she's up front on her knees, surrendering her heart to God, wow. crying her eyes out. And she comes up to me right after, and she said, you know, I'm going to embrace it, and I'm going to stay. Mm-hmm. And she's still there doing great. Awesome. And and so, like, I think about moments like that, you know, just fighting for that one person that, you know, even when they're too weak to fight for their self, we have to be willing to, to go that extra mile for mm-hmm. them because it threw off everything mm-hmm. in my mind, but God's plan was perfect, so the whole thing was ordained. And then we have people that's even part of, um, you know, High on Hope that we've watched them walk this whole process out. We have a couple um, from Ravenswood that were addicted. We met them right in the beginning of their trying to get clean and they've connected with us the whole time and they just celebrated 22 months free. Now they are uh, driving people to treatment. They're going, they're doing the freedom project. When calls come in, they're going out right in that moment. So we're seeing like people who were lost and hopeless, God set them free and them repaying that back. And I think that's a big key into seeing 
all this turn around. So um, there's people that should not even be alive that's out here saving lives. Oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome. I tell you what, as far as now the addictions, do they vary or do you, do you specialize in one certain addiction? They vary. And the thing is, um, what we see most is heroin and meth. Um, but we do deal with, you know, alcoholism and different things like that. But heroin and meth are the main two, probably 98% of what we deal with. Mm-hmm. Wow. I tell you what, that, it's just amazing what you've been doing and, and how long you've been doing this for how many years? Uh, well, it's uh, High on Hope started in January of 2017. And God has just opened it up quickly. And it's it's growing, uh, you know, way bigger than, you know, I could have ever even imagined so um, it's only been not even two years with High on Hope, but prior to that, you know, we've been uh, trying to help people out of this for, you know, ever since I've been with Eddie and I got set free. So uh, about four and a half years. Wow. Is there, um, is there a cost f- uh, for your program? No, it's, it's actually Medicaid. Um, mm-hmm. So even if people don't have insurance, we just, you know, anyone qualifies for a, a Medicaid card. So when they go into the actual program, the residential side of mm-hmm. it, um, they just sign up and it doesn't cost them anything. Um, and as far as anything that we do as far as services, um, there's no cost for that either. Even when we, we've helped, you know, we've driven like 11 girls to Birmingham, Alabama, and we raised money and helped finance the whole thing. We have amazing people like, um, you know, like even Bobby that's here that that set up these fundraisers so that when we come mm-hmm. across these people that we can facilitate getting them there without having to pull from them because most people that are addicted don't have a penny to their name right. and they don't have anything. So um, we know that. And the other way that we help facilitate this stuff is churches partner with us. Actually, this church you know, um, Freedom Gate partners with us on a monthly basis. So we have different churches in the area that believe in our mission and partner with us. Um, so that we, we don't want to put cost on anyone for anything that we do. Well, I tell you, I was talking to Todd, our engineer, so forth, and he had mentioned that uh, apparently, and correct me if I'm wrong, or correct him if he's wrong, um, <laughs> if someone does have an OD like that, either police or he says that they contact you. Yeah. You're the guy, you're the go-to guy as far as if they have, if they come across a person that yeah. has done that. We've seen wow. crazy stuff happen in that. We've seen people that were dead and um, Narcan and brought back. And then we show up in the emergency room and we see the most beautiful things happen because, you know, like um, this one story in particular, um, she's, you know, she's dead one minute, she's hopeless. And we, we go into this emergency room and it's the one that has the glass all around it, so all the hospitals mm-hmm. watching. And we just talk to her and try to release a little bit of hope for her to grab onto. And she grabbed onto it. Like, we see such beautiful things happen from this. Mm-hmm. And she grabbed onto it, and God did such a significant thing in her life that changed her forever. So they, they do call us, and it's very fun for me because, you know, like— I know that they're not expecting to get hope right after mm-hmm. an overdose. Mm-hmm. So um, it's received so well, surprisingly, right. when we go in. All right. I'll tell you two more questions before we wrap it up. Um, first of all, if somebody wants to help donate to your program, it's like that, um, who do they get in contact with and how do they get in contact with you as far as to help support your endeavor in High on Hopes? 
Uh, right. Yeah, they can. They could contact us. They could even call my my cell phone. I feel like the um, my cell phone number's out there a lot anyway, so I don't mind to give it. Um, it's three zero four nine one six eight four six eight, and we are five zero one c three nonprofit. So you know, anyone that does give or donate, um, it's actually you know they can write it off, um, or they can contact us through our uh, social media, or they can email us even at high on hope ministries at gmail dot com. Um, so that you know, they could contact us any of those ways if they would like to give to the cause. That's awesome. I tell you what, I'm going to let you close the program, and what I'm going to ask you to do, if there is an individual for some reason who's listening to this podcast, whether it be a grandmother, or mother, or even one that's actually having issues with addiction, what is that one thing like that that you can give them hope and a nugget? Hey, I want you, and they, that they can hold on to, you know, as far as to help them through that process right i would say if you're listening and you're struggling um there is a way out the lie is that you're stuck in this and that you can never live life without it and i'm telling you as a person that felt that way at one time that there is a way out and one of the most important things you can ever do to get out of that situation is connect yourself to a healthy family of people that can help you walk this out because Overcoming this thing is a team sport. It's not a a one-person effort. And so um, if you are a mother or you have a loved one that's addicted, um, just keep praying for them. Keep uh, praying for them. Grab yourself some resources that you can give to that person because there's going to come a time where that person is miserable and the pain is outweighing the pleasure and they're going to need help. And if you are equipped in that moment with a resource to give them, um, that could be the moment that changes their life forever. Just never give up hope on them because I'm sure that there was many times my parents looked at me and thought, man, there's just no way he's going to get it. You know, he's going to end up dead. And so like, I know if I can make it out of that situation and we have a whole, you know, bunch more people that's made it out that it's possible for anyone. It's not unique just to certain people. Well, I tell you what, uh, I want to thank you, Tim. And I want to thank your ministry high on hope and what you're doing for our community you know, helping us uh, and the individuals who are suffering to kind of help them towards reaching that goal of optimal health and wellness. So again, I want to thank Tim. We'll continue to pray for Tim and his ministry. And until next time, keep advancing. Thank you for listening to Soaring in Health and Wellness with Dr. Steve Wells and his guest. We would like to thank our sponsors, Freedom Gate Church, where it is their passion to advance Christ's kingdom and disciple the generations. Find more details on the web at freedomgatechurch.net. We would also like to thank Mountaineer Chiropractic. For more information, go online to mountaineerchiro.com. If you'd like to be a sponsor or help support Soaring in Health and Wellness podcast, please go to the web at eagleswaysministries.org and select a patron page in the top menu bar. If you or your business or church would like Dr. Steve Wells to speak at your church, special event, or conference, please go online to eagleswaysministries.org and select contact on the menu bar or send an email to eagleswayministries at gmail.com or call 304-485-6589. Until next time, think of Isaiah 40, 29-31. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint.